Maybe you've wanted to learn how to play guitar, but you've come to the right place not because I know how to play guitar or Mark knows how to play guitar, but our guest is exquisite at it, and he's a great teacher. He can tell you about an 11-string fretless guitar, 99 decisions, and get you started no matter how old you are. Welcome. Listeners in listener land, welcome to St. Louis in Tune with Arnold Stricker and Mark Langston, where we provide some fresh perspectives on issues <laughs> with experts like our guest today, community leaders and everyday people who drive change and make an impact that shapes our world and society. Mark, how are you today, sir? I'm great. <laughs> knock on wood, knock on my head, I don't know. I'm doing well. How about you? Well, are I'm you doing well? Hanging in doing there. Good? This is nice to finally get some sunshine after oh. living in the dark ages of Alaska. <laughs> yes, for sure. For, for a long, long time. I know, it has been. It is nice to see the sunshine. It, I it, think we went weeks without seeing it. Yeah. No wonder everybody was crabby. Oh, yeah. It it's, <laughs> would be great to get away sometime, too, if, mm-hmm. if that's possible, but at least the sun is shining. Yeah. And I, I return to civility because we always like to help people be a little bit more civil. When you're playing music in your car, mm. keep the volume down. Mm-mm. People outside your car don't want to hear your music. Maybe they do. but mm. And you probably wouldn't <laughs> want to have to listen to their music either. Uh, and that's sometimes mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wondering how deaf people are or how mm. deaf they're going to be mm-hmm. based upon some of the right. beats and the volume that mm-hmm. I hear. It's too late for me. What'd you I, say? I say that. <laughs> I know. I found myself actually yesterday having the volume cranked up in the car, singing along and playing the drums. And <laughs> it's, it's great on the highway to do that. I know. And some of those folks that do drive around with the bass, is it the bass? Boom, boom. I don't get that. I'm, But it's whatever you like. No, I like a balanced approach. Yeah. I still do like my music loud, I'm afraid. We're going to be loud today because of our guest, and he's very balanced in the music world as a composer, performer, and educator. Matthew Von Doren has a passion for using his vast experience to show others how to develop the skills necessary to play music, the music which they feel most connected to. He has over three decades of teaching the guitar, and he's discovered all the essential elements involved in laying down a solid foundation for the player. Now, Mark, I want to go into a little background because you wouldn't believe the background of our guest. Mm. He's currently an adjunct professor at Lindenwood University, mm. private guitar instructor, songwriting instructor, and he has been an adjunct instructor at the Extreme Institute, which is Nellie's Institute, where he was voted the best instructor. He taught some music theory there. He's also been a performer, educator, presenter, creator, and director at the Sheldon Theater at COCA and at the Grammy Camp, which is a music career camp put on by the Grammy Foundation at USC. He's worked with artists including Ryan Seacrest, Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Nick Jonas. He has been a program creator And at Interlochen College of Creative Arts, he has numerous publications on the guitar. He's been a clinician. He's performed at the 2009 Latin Grammy Awards show and been a winner of the 2010 Grammy for Best Latin Pop Album. He's a CD of original compositions in this present moment. He's a session guitarist for films in multiple genres. And Matthew, welcome to St. Louis in Tune. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. I didn't even mention <laughs> some a... of these groups that you played with. <laughs> Man. <laughs> you played with, oh gosh, where is it? Those television shows. Oh, yeah? 
I'm originally from L.A. in Orange County in California. So I'm someone of a transplant here in St. Louis, and that's a story in and of itself how I got here. But I've been here 15 years now. Uh, before that, mostly L.A. and Orange County. And so I had a pretty interesting, diverse, crazy, all-over-the-place kind of career to uh, make a living in music these days, always. You had to be pretty diverse, do a lot of different things at once. Yeah, a lot of my stories are, are back then, the different kinds of bands I played with. But the TV thing was a was a big band I was in for 20 years called the Don Miller Big Band. And my buddy started it. We had a rock band in the early 80s. He got this crazy idea to start a swing band, a Sinatra kind of thing, Michael Buble. And we did well with everything. We uh, had a residency at a couple of places in Orange County, and then we started getting out there and doing different things. So we hooked up with playing on TV shows, because when they do a taping of a live show, they quite often bring in a live audience for the actors that, you know, feed off the energy when mm -hmm. they're doing the show. And that's still done. Uh, when you have a live audience, you got to make sure they're in the right mood. They're in a TV soundstage, and it's, it's different than a concert uh, performance or a play. So they have uh, uh, generally they'll have some kind of band play, get the audience all pumped up and ready to watch a show and respond. We got that gig at the Nanny. We were on there for five seasons. Wow. Once a week, every time she taped a show, and they had the audience, we were there playing. And then Jason Alexander from Seinfeld was guesting on The Nanny. He saw us play, and I guess they were ready for a new band over there. So they brought us on board for the last two seasons. And it was just a good example of kind of the random, oddball kind of things I've done in my career. How fun, though. Yeah. yeah. So it's just because so you're sitting there yeah. while they're taping a show, and you have to be really quiet. And then every now and then they'll have us play. So it's surreal. That is. Where'd you get your start on guitar? Like, why guitar? Why not trumpet? Why not clarinet? He wanted the girls. He thought <laughs> anybody that plays a guitar gets the women. <laughs> I've read many uh, interviews in guitar magazines and such, and that's actually a pretty common story. People started for that. Either that or they saw the Beatles on uh, Ed Sullivan, oh, which I may have seen. I don't remember, but that's entirely possible. But I've always been into music. I had older, two older sisters and older brother. My older sisters were into the Beatles, and they had their little stereos with the speakers in the lid and the little boxes with the 45. So I remember them playing the Beatles and that kind of music. And then my brother, who was five years older, he was into the harder stuff like Hendrix and Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath. Wow. So I was influenced by him. He played drums and some guitar. But I've just always really been into music. A friend of my mom's got me a guitar for Christmas when I was 16. That was back in, or 15, that was in 1975. And then I started lessons right away and have been doing it ever since. I just got way into it. And certain events happen in your life that kind of steer how you end up. I was living in Manhattan Beach, California. I was living right by the water. And I was going to be a marine biologist when I was 15. I was very into that. Mm. And then uh, I got a guitar, and then I moved in to live with my dad uh, away from the beach and just got more into guitar and other things and uh, ended up going to college mm. for it and then going to a music school. So I've been at this for quite a while. Mm. Yeah, you have. And great story. One thing I really admire about you is that you have 
you didn't just focus just on playing because you, it's hard to make a living if you're just playing. You have to be in the right place at the right time, really good. But you've really diversified. You compose, you know, you teach, and some of the things that I've seen on your 99 decisions, where if you Mark, if you want to learn how to play guitar, oh, yeah. this is the way to do it uh, right. because he goes through and these are video lessons. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how to start chords, and I'll, I'll let you describe it. Why should I describe it? You wrote it. I did, and it was interesting hearing you read all that stuff off because hearing it all at once, having lived it over almost 50 years, is a different perspective, of course. I've always been into the instruction thing. It's fun to teach. I really like it. So I've been doing it a long time, and I grew and evolved as an educator instructor of the guitar. I realized that... A lot of people were veering off the path and and ending up with practicing in a way that didn't really develop the skills they needed to play songs, just basic songs even with chords and strumming. And I ended up developing somewhat of an approach that's all about taking things apart, chunking things down, and looking at the foundational elements and getting people connected to that. And then you put it back together, and and you're in a position where you can actually start learning songs, and it's not so much of a struggle. But there's the guitar. It's not rocket science, but that being said, there are a handful of things that if you don't pay attention to in the beginning, it can make a big difference. So I, about 10 years ago, developed this video course, and with the idea that I was going to get in there and have a, a big empire like all the other guitar teachers online. And... After I launched, kind of my life and career went some different directions, so I didn't really pursue it so much like that. I Because that's a full-time job, to run a YouTube channel and right. create content every week. The people are doing it. Are, it's very intensive. There's a high burnout now with people who've been doing it for five, six, seven, eight years of teaching online. So I, I got into other things, but with all my private clients that I see, I started giving them my course to work with. So it's like having a teaching assistant. So it wasn't my intent. But now when I work with people one-on-one, I have these videos that I can connect them with that. So we don't have to spend so much time in the lesson focused Mm -hmm. on things. We can do more things that, well, things you can only do in a live session where you're working with somebody one-on-one. You have that real time back and forth. I'm observing them play. Uh, It's a different dynamic. And uh, it's an experience you can't get out of a video or a book or a class. Mm-hmm. So I have these videos that I – so everyone I work with, I just give them a, a membership to the online program. And it's still available to the public online. I actually licensed it to How Leonard Publishing. They're the biggest publishers on the planet now. So they have it, and it's rebranded, but I got to keep it. It's called the 99 99- – Decisions Guitar Program, and it's based on the concept that there are indeed 99 individual videos. They're very short, 5, 10, 15 minutes long, and everything's chunked down, like I say. Hmm. But it's, and you can go in order, you can jump around. It's pretty versatile. It's designed for a complete beginner. Because I think about a friend of mine who started guitar and he used the Mel Bay book. Oh, yeah. And this is, is, would this be like a visual Mel Bay? Mel Bay is a classic. He's here in St. Louis and kind of plays into the story. Um, another story, how I even got here from California. But Mel Bay uh, used to teach in Kirkwood right. back in the 50s and had his own little store. And right. he started doing the same thing. He started developing an approach, and he put it in a book and started to self-publish. 
I find a lot of his old books at like estate sales and stuff down in the basement of people's houses. They mm-hmm. have all their books and sheet music they've collected next to the, all the Christmas decorations. <laughs> and so I'd go through that. So I have some books where his address is like Kirkwood 22. That's what right, I'm right. on the cover. Oh, yeah. And it grew into the Mel Bay book one that sold over a million copies, I think. Wow. And that's a more traditional method based on how you taught back then. But there's all sorts of approaches. Mine isn't the best per se or um it's just another way to look at it based on a lot of experience of working with people Mm. yeah it's amazing it it is and and the evolution of this and i know during covid you were doing a lot of online lessons and still communicating with students and that you couldn't obviously see in person and you've i don't want to say morphed but you've been able to move with how things have been going you're doing some live looping now? Yeah. Well, Tell that, us a little bit about what live looping is. Yeah. Well, the, that's a world in and of itself. And, and you said the morphing thing being adaptable. And so before the pandemic hit, I was doing these online lessons. I was connecting with clients from around the country through a few various websites that people get on to find services and they find music lessons. So I'm, connect, I'm teaching people around around the planet, but mostly around the country. And about a third of my clients were uh, were online. I was still seeing people here in St. Louis. But then after the pandemic, people got used to doing video calls. They got more comfortable. A lot of people, they, you know, they don't understand you can do music lessons virtually. Like they think you have to be in the same room. But these are more coaching lessons, so they work great mm-hmm. with video. So that a lot of people that do what I do, we got very busy during the pandemic and have been ever since because now people are used to that. And we're talking about all this guitar lesson stuff. That's just part of what I do. It's a big part, and I love it. Uh, But then I'm also an artist and still creating. I'm not performing live as much, but I'm about to shift that story because I'm entering a new phase with this live looping story. I've always done it, and it's been kind of part of what I do, but it's the focus of what I'm doing. I'm just playing by myself. I'm using acoustic electric guitars, and then I'm using a lot of effects pedals. Guitars are way into the toys, and (laughs) it's always interesting to me because if you're not a guitarist or you're a civilian and you're watching somebody with all these colored metal boxes on the ground and we're stepping on them and turning knobs and all these crazy sounds are happening. So it's abstract for the viewer. Uh, But every, it's just electronics and it's, you know, been around since mid-century of last century. The uh, uh, technology grew and evolved and there were a few pedals. We heard like Hendrix and Eric Clapton used back in the 60s and 70s. It was like fuzz pedals and distortion and then a wah-wah pedal, stuff like that. So maybe people are familiar with it to an extent, but it adds to the whole performance aspect that you're seeing somebody up there being a mad scientist. So <laughs> that's a good I am way to describe playing that. either acoustic guitar, electric guitar that's amplified. It's going through these pedals. So I'm changing things. I'm creating in real time. I'm improvising. And then I'm changing the sounds as I go. And the fun part is I'm right there with the audience about not knowing what's going to happen next. It's a little scary, but I like it. Interesting. This is Arnold Strick with Mark Langson of St. Louis in Tune. We're talking to Matthew Von Doren. Guitarist, performer, educator, composer. 
Why don't you play a little bit for us so uh, people can get a little flavor about uh, your chops there, buddy? Yeah, I... We've got a hot room here. Uh, yeah, I am noticing as <laughs> we're talking, I can... My strings. No, of, while he's tuning up there, I'm not going to ask him the typical stock questions like, What kind of guitar do you play? I'm not going to ask him, What kind of, who are your inspiration? I'm not I, going to ask him. I'd like to know what, oh, kind, no, of, yeah, what kind of guitar do you play? <laughs> I have a lot of guitars, as most people do it for a living do, and this one I'm playing here is actually called a Takamini. It's a, a Japanese uh, company that is still around and was actually made by a famous uh, luther in japan and i just said last minute hey why don't you bring your guitar so i grabbed this one as i head out the door to play acoustically so now i'm just playing a guitar without any effects it's just a human and a guitar and it's the sound that most people associate with with guitars Mm -hmm. it's what makes it cool it's a uh, guitars are an amazing piece of engineering and art. So it's wood and metal and physics going on. And as long as I've been doing it, I'm still pretty fascinated by the, you know, what you can do with one. It's just picking one up and always trying to try to figure out what new things can I find and explore. So I'll just play a little bit of something short here. soothing make it look easy yeah that's why he's got the 99 decisions wow that's great thank you yeah that's a lot going on there for 10 in the morning (laughs) 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 i might be typical in the keeping the late hours as a musician but thanks for having me on and getting to talk about music and all this stuff we're not done yet we're just we're just warming up if folks if you want to see a little bit about what Matthew's doing. It's Matthew Von Doren, V-O-N-D-O-R-A-N.com, Matthew Von Doren. Also, you can go to 
the numbers, decisions.com, 99decisions.com, and you can get some information about that. You're actually going to be doing a talk, and are you going to be playing also at the High Noon Cafe on 3301 Washington Avenue on February the 15th? Yeah, two uh, Thursdays from now, they asked me to do a presentation. They've been having all sorts of artists of all disciplines there to give these talks called High Noon. Uh, it's a Kranzberg uh, Arts uh, Foundation thing there on Washington. A very cool place. It's a cafe in front. And then in the back is a kind of a presentation space. They have a stage and a podium and a wall to project on. So they have poetry and not as much music. I think more poetry things and talks on art. And so they asked me to do a presentation. I just picked what I really talk about all day long with everyone that I work with, and that is music and creation and where does that come from, the eternal question for artists so the talk is called i actually have to look it up here oh my between the conscious and the subconscious tangential tales from the creative chasm so i gave it a real kind of artsy, wow artsy, yeah, you gotta, that's your college stuff coming through pretty much i saw a woman she had a phd in german impressionism art and she gave a talk about st louis art museum here we have the biggest collection of that in the world and yeah it was very artsy very academic i think the secret is to put a colon in your title so i have between <laughs> yeah. the conscious and the subconscious colon, colon. tangential tales from the creative chasm how so. funny and then i created a title i think where i can really just talk about anything people (laughs) (laughs) about art because that's that's it is the eternal question where does art come from what Mm -hmm. is art of Mm -hmm. course is the big one but what how do humans create art where is that coming from and it is a blend of things from the conscious and the subconscious and humans tend to like the more romantic notion of like talent and you're born with it or you're not born with it and we tend to create these stereotypes of creative people but anyone that does it uh you know will tell you that it is equal parts if not sometimes more absolutely conscious deliberate uh working things out you know that old saying uh one percent inspiration 99 percent perspiration stuff like that Mm -hmm. but i do a, a lot of music that is improvised. The piece I just played is mostly composed. Mm-hmm. I might do little different things here and there. But a lot of the things I do as a looping artist are literally, I'm just, I have no idea what's going to happen. I just start playing. And so that comes from a very interesting place that I think at the end of the day, we don't really know what's mm-hmm. going on with music and the big story as far as our brains go the neuroscience all of that is a very big subject now there's mm, lots right. of books out there daniel levington wrote this is your brain on music and the current book now is the talent code by david coyle that's he's addressing more of the myelination the book is very mm-hmm. much about what happens to your the nerves that you're using to play an instrument or a sport or anything and how repetitive motion kind of this idea about muscle memory it's really Mm -hmm. about nerve memory and Mm -hmm. how every time you do something it it creates a coating of of myelin on your nerve fibers and then the more you do it the more that coating and then they'll fire the same way every time and you just folks you just thought it's a fascinating that guitar players or musicians just played yeah right there's there's a lot more 
And, and I want to get into that the science of, of being a musician, like you're describing. That's like the the uh, the metacognition of being a, a musician. Exactly. We're going to catch it, that. It's always been amazing to me what music does to folks. Yeah. It just it's, it's hard to explain. I but. You just did very well explaining well, that, I, the you nerve know, ending stuff, but it's it's, it's amazing what it, it does. It is a blend, yeah, yeah. of the, con- uh, the conscious people, and subconscious yeah. and all these things. We do like to figure stuff out as humans. We're using our brains to figure out our brains, so that's actually flawed science in and of itself. But I obviously I'm a nerd with that stuff. I was going to be a marine biologist. I'm a, definitely a wannabe <laughs> scientist. <laughs> so I like to read these books, and it offers interesting perspective. But also as an educator, I'm dealing with humans all day long talking about this right. stuff. It'll never cease to be uh, fascinating to me because we really don't know. Uh, but everything we do, the the part about putting in all that time to practice and train with anything, sports, dance, all of that, when you immerse yourself in it. So there's all these really great books. That book Flow by, mm. let's see if I can do the name, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi is uh, Eastern European, and he wrote this book on how Humans just get into this flow state where everything goes away and you just get lost in something. So I guess I'm at a point where both are fascinating to me. And we'll, we'll talk about that after the break. This is Arnold Stricker with Mark Langston of St. Louis in Tune. Come right back. Thanks for listening to St. Louis In Tune. On each and every show, we strive to bring you informative, useful, and reflective stories and interviews about current and historic issues and events that involve people, places, and things. Hey, we cover a wide range of content in the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, health, history, housing, and humor, justice, and sports, and that's just to name a few. While St. Louis In Tune originates from the Gateway City and covers local topics, we connect to what is going on nationally as well. If you missed any of our previously aired programs of St. Louis In Tune, simply visit stlintune.com. That's stlintune.com. There you'll find every show from our first to our most current. Use the search engine and look for a show that might interest you And if you have an area that you'd like us to examine deeper, let us know. Just drop us a line at stlintune at gmail.com. That's stlintune at gmail.com. St. Louis In Tune, heard Monday through Friday on the usradionetwork.com and many great stations around the U.S. and, of course, right here in St. Louis. Our website again is stlintune.com stlintune this is arnold stricker of st louis in tune on behalf of the dred scott heritage foundation in 1857 the dred scott decision was a major legal event and catalyst that contributed to the civil war the decision declared that dred scott could not be free because he was not a citizen the 14th amendment also called the Dred Scott Amendment, granted citizenship to all born or naturalized here in our country and was intended to overturn the U.S. Supreme Court decision on July 9, 1868. The Dred Scott Heritage Foundation is requesting a commemorative stamp to be issued from the U.S. Postal Service to recognize and remember the heritage of this amendment by issuing a stamp with the likeness of the man Dred Scott. 
but we need your support and the support of thousands of people who would like to see this happen. To achieve this goal, we ask you to download, sign, and share the one-page petition with others. To find the petition, please go to dreadscottlives.org and click on the Dred Scott Petition Drive on the right side of the page. On behalf of the Dred Scott Heritage Foundation, this has been Arnold Stricker of St. Louis in Tune. Back to St. Louis in tune with Arnold Stricker and Mark Langston. We're having a conversation with Matthew Von Doren, composer, performer, educator. I know you, we got to just keep playing this. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, we can keep it in the background. Now, when I was a kid, we used to go to East St. Louis and watch and go to some jazz clubs there. Some of the best jazz I've ever. I've been to New Orleans for jazz and around in Nashville, and but boy, East St. Louis. If you have somebody that knows where to go over there. <laughs> It's there's some great jazz coming out of Kansas Louis. City has some great jazz. Does it? Do they? Yeah. Okay. No. Sorry. Hey, St. Louis, right here. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you're maybe partial to jazz. Maybe not. That's probably correct. Maybe not. I go <laughs> in out of uh, a lot of different phases. I think a lot of artists do like a broad scope and things. I don't know too many people that just like one kind of music, but most people like what they like. For me, I I grew up with all that Beatles and Hendrix and a lot of 70s music, Crosby, Stills and Nash, James Taylor, that kind of music, Deep Purple, but even my mom's Burt Backrack records and The Carpenters, so pretty diverse. I got into jazz through what is called fusion music back in the 70s, Mm -hmm. got jazz rock. Miles Davis started getting into it and it was a blend of jazz and rock jazz rock sometimes what they call it and so there are guitarists like john mclaughlin and mike sir and john schofield and they were a nice blend of it so i was intrigued by the jazz part of it which are more involved harmonies and more involved melodies and more involved rhythms and but it was like with distorted rock guitar sound so that's a common story as well. A lot of guitarists got into jazz in that way because all those players were way into the classic jazz musicians. Miles Davis, mm-hmm. who's from St. Louis area, East St. Louis, and Bill Evans and John Coltrane and all that kind of stuff. So it was a somewhat of a natural transgression into this other music, and then I, and that was right when I was going to college. So they didn't really have rock and jazz fusion. Uh, uh, programs yet. It was all more traditional jazz. Mm-hmm. So that's how I got into it. I've, I've really been into everything ever since. I've only done the one album of my music, and I would say it's contemporary modern jazz. So not too much traditional jazz on there. But because of it just being my one album, I think that's why people associate me with being a jazz artist. But I'm about as a galactic, I think, as one can be. And all your original compositions on that album? Yes, that was that album was an amazing journey in and of itself, just very life-changing. There was a series of events that led me to work with Jimmy Haslip from the Yellow Jackets, a very prominent musician and producer, and a friend of mine connected us. It was my first album. I thought it was just going to be a somewhat of a typical 
a working musician who decides to do his own music, make an album that was back in the around the 2000s. And so he then put all these amazing players on it. Just it just all worked out. Like I say, it's quite an involved story. But I'm still tripped out about it. It happened the way it did. It, it made a big difference. It did very well. Was well received. So that sort of put me on the map as an artist. But I've only done the the one album. After that, I got into other things. I ended up moving here. So uh, it's been a pretty interesting journey so far. Where, where can where can you find the album? Is it? Oh, it's on all the the uh, where people listen to music now. So uh, Apple Music and okay. Spotify, and I think you can actually still buy the CD on Amazon. <laughs> so crazy. There's that. Yeah, that uh, all of that was just quite an adventure. It seems I, like a lot of the things I've done, these things in my career, just were like just like an adventure in and of itself. And then I had it, and then I was like, okay, what's next? And then I had some other adventure and some other aspect of the music industry i i would love to hear how you did manage to make it to st louis <laughs> how does well, a fellow like you end up here <laughs> but if there's anyone out there who knows me and knows the story they're going to be at a co-guide how long is the show okay, okay i have a 20 second version and a 20 minute version but let's see if i can uh, get it all in here so i was in california um In 2007, I was shopping for homes in Orange County after renting this very cool place behind a house for a good long time. It was time to buy something, but in 2007, everything was like a million dollars for 900 square feet. And I was figuring out what I was going to do with that story. Meanwhile, I I had a friend here, Corey Christiansen, very prominent jazz guitarist and educator himself. He actually was senior editor for Mel Bay Publications here. He and I knew each other from the, this music conference that just happened actually a week before last called the NAM Show in L.A., big music product show. I was playing this show in California, and Corey was there at the conference with the whole gang from Fazio's Music here out in Ellisville. So Mike Fazio and the gang, they were all there and watched the show. At the end of it, he introduced me to them. And they in, invited me out to do a clinic here in St. Louis. So I've never been to St. Louis, hadn't met Fazio's music or anything, but I was doing more and more clinics around the country. So Corey was just hooking me up. So a couple of months later, I called him up to book. Uh, I was going to book this clinic, and I wanted to call him and say, hey, are you going to be in town? Because the whole thing, when he introduced me to uh, Mike and they uh, offered me the clinic, Corey was like, yeah, man, you can stay at my house and we'll hang out. It'll be cool. That was the premise of it. That was in January 2007. Around May, I called him and said, hey, I want to book this clinic. When's a good time where you'll be in town so we can hang out and all that? He goes, oh, man, this just happened, but I'm leaving Mel Bay and going back to Utah. And so I was like, bummer. And then I said, when are you leaving? He goes, as soon as I sell my house. And I go, what? what are you selling your house for? And he said, 269. It was this beautiful home in Webster. And I was like, 269 that was the down payment we were looking at to buy a house no in Orange kidding. County. Yeah. yeah. So I made a joke. I think I said something like, oh, I'll take two of them. And he goes, actually, it might. Well, you've been talking about building out your clinic career and, and getting out there. Well, it's, it's cool to live in the middle of the U.S. like this. He started doing the, the hard sell on me. But without getting into all the details it was just a timing thing and I was in a position to do something that crazy but I literally hopped on a plane three days after that conversation came out here fell in love with St. Louis and bought his house 
Wow. So I lived in actually back and forth for a couple of years, but then went through some more changes, ended up staying out here, and then and ended up downtown in Printer's Lofts where right. Arnold and I live. We so, were in the same building. So oh, is I've that right? Yeah. yeah. Wow. So I've been there since 2010. And I love living downtown. This is a really great, like, little big city. And for somebody who's right. been in California his whole life, I really dig it here. There's a lot of a lot of great culture. I love the architecture. Uh, a lot of things about it. It's it's got its other stuff as well. But I travel a lot. I'm mm. here to tell you, every city has their stuff. It's other stuff. Yeah. So <laughs> there's that. And I just I still really like it out here. It's it's been really good for me. And I can. Uh, the way the music scene is now, a music career, you can live anywhere. Right. Right. Uh, as long as I've got Wi-Fi and an airport, I can do my job. And yep. so a lot of musicians are leaving L.A., New York, and Nashville. And just Plus, with the pandemic, people working remotely. Mm-hmm. I, I do these lessons remotely. I literally can be anywhere and do a lesson. I could do one right out outside the door now if I had to. I just need a, a space and bars on my phone. So I do a lot of road trips and out into the wilderness and stuff. And if I, yeah, if I can, my phone's working. I've done lessons with clients from campgrounds and side of the road, an old desert. How fun. And yeah. that's what tied into this looping thing we're, we've been talking about is that I started bringing all my gear with me and like a camper battery so I can run my pedals and my amp and everything. (laughs) And so I started making these uh, videos of me out in the wilderness. And that's, so that's new for me, video editing. Not new, I've done it, but just here and there. So now I take these videos, I'm doing live loops, they're improvised. And then I turn them into some kind of video. Maybe I edit and add stuff. Maybe it's just the performance itself. But I have, that's what's on my YouTube channel. Do you see how I did that with starting with how I I I ended up here and I got (laughs) the YouTube channel? And that's the key word in my talk title is tangentialism because I am known for (laughs) being pretty tough to track with. And I have to manage that. It's just that to me, everything is connected. That's correct. So to it me, is. it's not. I don't feel like I'm changing subjects. To me, I'm just like this had everything to do with. Are, me. are you still taking on new clients? Do you still take on new students? Yeah, always because people yeah. kind of come in and out. The kind of lessons I do, they're coaching sessions. They're not traditional guitar lessons per se. Uh, I do have some very long-term clients, and I have people come in and have the experience, and maybe. It's not what they expected. Maybe their life stuff changes things. So it's always, I like that part. I, I get to work with people all over, from all over with different stories. I just make the session about their story mm. and their playing and what they want to get into. So, Sounds like Yeah, you're... I always have time for clients, but I'm like super busy. I Between seeing 20, 25 clients a week and then I have a position at Lindenwood in their music business department and that's a day and a half now. It's a busy semester, so that's a lot. And then yeah. I'm working on myself as an artist again and all the stuff that comes with it, which is the YouTube channel, and the website, all these things, I'm, it's really just getting going. Like I have to get home after this and update my website because you just told everyone about it. And 
<laughs> I've got to put a talk on it. It's just been sitting there. Love and that's it. what musicians do, that whole DIY thing that's been around since when my album came out. I was on the, the cusp of all that. Uh, you didn't need a record deal. You could do everything yourself. It just is very time-consuming. Right. So when are you supposed to write and compose and practice and record? So that's that's just the story for everyone. It really comes down to if there is a talent uh, that people need to be in the arts, it's probably time management mm -hmm. and goal clarity and all the entrepreneurship kind of skills are as important as your artistic and creative skills. Lindenwood got a gem with oh, you yeah. because of your varied background and just the focus of how you have, my words, mastered one thing and continued forward and seeing how it opens up into different doors and different avenues and that they are all related. Everything that you've talked about, the entrepreneurship, the composing, the performing. And what I want to come back because before the break, I did we did talk about the what does a musician think when they're improvising or when they're performing, whether it be classical piece and off the air we talked about I mentioned about technique and mastering technique so you can really get into the music. And you made a really good point, I thought, was that the blues and some jazz is just pretty raw. The technique may not be just like you're listening to a symphony musician, mm -hmm. but it's the, the feeling behind it, it's the emotion behind it that really drives what you're listening to. It's not necessarily, oh, they, they missed that note. It really didn't matter because I was listening to the whole phrase or exactly. I was listening to the whole composition. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? First of all, thanks for saying all that nice stuff. And a whole bunch of great people out at Lindenwood that have a lot of real life and real career experience. So it's an um, honor for me to, to teach and work with everyone there and also the students. So it's inspiring that young students are going to college to create a career in music, which is pretty... It's never been uh, more crazy than now, but it's always been pretty crazy, because I think everyone understands. As far as creating, I'm sorry, you, <laughs> I, I had to get in to say the thing about Lindenwood, but you're asking about like no, where uh, to create from. About improvising oh, yeah, or just performance. Uh, yeah, there were a bunch of things in there, because uh, th we were talking on the break about blues and uh, relative to classical music, which is very much about precision. There's emotion in all music. It's just classical music is composed, so it's, the notes are already on the page. You have to play them with the most beautiful, exquisite phrasing and tone and clarity possible. But then you contrast that to blues music, and it is very raw. It has an incredibly deep, rich, and tragic story to it. It's very heavy. So that just that raw emotion is what it's all about. And... I think everyone gets that, at least at the, some kind of basic level, subconscious level. You wouldn't go to a blues concert and get bummed out because the notes weren't all perfect right. and all that. It's just That doesn't make sense. Same really with any art, I think. I'm pretty good about what I get into. I'm there, I guess you could say, for the right reasons. There are some people who can be a little maybe on the elitist side. Humans tend to... A big part of what we get out of art and what impresses us is the fact that you, you yourself can't do it, then that's very impressive uh, to you because you're watching somebody with this skill and you don't have it, especially if it's a skill 
that takes a long time to develop and maintain. So that aspect of perception of music, sometimes, yeah, people look at classical music or jazz or see people playing very fast, and so it's very impressive. But then you see someone just playing a few notes, and it's maybe not technically demanding, but the emotion there is what it's really about. That's right, and that emotion can come from joy, sadness, different aspects, I think, that happen in your life that fuel the music that's being played. That f- it, it fuels the, the drive and the creativity, this is my perception of that, behind what you're doing. Because I remember when I was bummed out in high school, I'd put on mellow music. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to hear something Chilly. kicking. Put James, oh, I'd, yeah. I'd even get more mellow than that. Crosby stills. Uh, yeah, because I think sometimes you you like to get into at least this is me. You're like on the highway, man. When you got a driving song, the accelerator can go down and you, you speed with with fast music. But when you're it, it's very moody. Like you don't go into a nice restaurant and it's quiet and dark and you got somebody playing rock. Yeah, really hard rock. <laughs> that's not what you expect. You expect yeah. something that's mellow, romantic, and easy going. Yeah, easy going, yeah. So I think a lot of it is, do you find when you're creating that you're drawing from past experience or current experiences that you've had in your life that maybe you're thinking about or things that kind of come out, and rather than talk about them, your music does the speaking for you? Those are all good ways to put it. Everything you shared is is really what it's all about. Every human Pretty much every human is into music and is affected by it. It triggers emotions. All these books are cool and fun to read, but we really don't know. Mm-hmm. But we do know there is a connection where people hear certain kinds of music, certain melodies, harmonies, rhythms, and that affects us in a deep, profound way. And I don't know, we'll keep studying it. I, I, part of me hopes we never figure it out because, yeah, the mystery of it all is part of the allure. There's a correlation of two qualities of harmony of major and minor. So major is happy and minor sad. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to me that all humans are wired that way. The reality is all humans were all born with an innate sense of pitch and an innate sense of rhythm. And it's in our DNA, it's in our souls. And then we listen to music our whole lives. From, from the womb, we're hearing music. About 12 weeks in, you have your auditory system. And so really anybody can learn to play and compose music. It's already inside of us. Everyone is affected in that way. And that's a cool story. Yeah. This is Arnold Stricker with Mark Langston of St. Louis in Tune. We're talking to Matthew Von Doren. If you want to get more information about Matthew, you can go to MatthewVonDoren.com. He also has a guitar program, folks, if you're interested in playing guitar. You currently play guitar. You've played guitar in the past but never were able to master it. Check out 99decisions.com, 99decisions.com. It's a video guitar program. And some of the things, I want to list some of these what it's about learn to learn the parts of the guitar uh, learn some new chords learn about basic strumming and it builds on each other uh, learning certain chords and i didn't know bar chords i thought bar chord was a b-a-r it's a b-a-r-e i didn't know that did you know that no i didn't know that learn one new thing a day that's right your thing for today strum patterns strumming accuracy riffs based on minor pentatonic scale patterns 
transposition, bending strings, mm. how to play slides. Yeah, we've had that'd be fun. Brian, oh god, Brian Bassett on. Mm-hmm. To, he was on the show, and he talked about playing slide guitar. Mm-hmm. That was fascinating conversation oh, yeah. about that. So who do you listen to? Ooh, great, hmm. great question. Like many people, I go through phases of what I put on. Sometimes I have music on when I'm doing things. I'm in a cool position where with talking to so many people around the world all the time about music, I'm getting turned on to new artists so who let's see i have my spotify right here who do i listen to i like it's funny i ask people this all the time and they always lock up (laughs) right away because they they feel like you just ask them who's your most favorite musician i miss roy i miss roy clark if i can just jump in wow i didn't expect that coming roy clark was an amazing musician and guitar player he he could play anything with strings yeah, I, he was. Yeah, guitar, banjo, banjo, anything with strings. Yeah. I, I've always, yeah, always really liked Roy Clark. Yeah, watching him, I agree with. He you. would amaze. He was. Yeah, anything that's technical and all that. All the jazz players, they're not household names, but I just watched the Grammys on Sunday. I've worked with the Grammy Foundation, and I'm in the Recording Academy. And it's what so is what it is. A lot of people have opinions about award shows in general, and I understand that. A lot of people don't take the Grammy seriously unless they win one, and then they. <laughs> then it's very serious. That's all they're going to talk different about. Deal. Probably. Yeah. That's not fair, but uh, yes, it yeah, is. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it is. No, it's another story. All right. I don't want to go off on those tangents, right. but because I do work with the organization, I get it. I think it's cool. Actually, there's no best of of anything really. It's it's like anything else, but it's it, you know we love music, and so. Uh, to be able to, uh, you know, have three hours of just everyone performing and watching things going on. That, in and of itself, the show is cool. But we're talking about uh, what um, what kind of music I listen to. It depends on the mood I'm in. Uh, right. melan- melancholy is a favorite state of mine, and I have a playlist called Melancholia, and I have just all sorts of stuff on there. Radiohead and... John Mayer and Lyle Lovett, and oh, yeah. let's see if I can get different composers. Misty Boyce, people that you haven't heard. That's the fun thing. There's so much music mm-hmm. out there to explore, and it's, uh, and you know, now we have all this technology. That's one of the things that's crazy is all the streaming and all that. But, you know, when we were all kids, we had to buy albums. You know, I had right. to work all month, right. save up my money and get this one album with these like 10 songs on it and it was very coveted and it was a yep. cool thing and so that's going to change you know, humans if all of a sudden it's like, hey, you can listen to every song in the universe right, right. now. Yeah. Uh, and it did change everything. It's crazy. So, I don't know if I really did the, the answer on, on what I'm really into. I'm a big Radiohead fan now. I'm a uh, late to that party, but uh, a lot of jazz musicians like Radiohead because it's very interesting and evolved. And now, when I type R into Spotify, Radiohead comes up right away. There you go, Mark. Yeah. I <laughs> to say it's it's amazing. I think it's great. I'm, I'm the same way. You know, I love. I can't see when I ask somebody what kind of music do you like. I don't. I like all kinds of music. Yeah, I agree. And uh, classical to just everything yeah you know i like love a good guitar player yeah good piano player too tough instrument to play if you ask yeah. me 
But well, everything is pretty involved. Any instrument, man, you can take it really far. Now everyone's doing that, like things like ukulele and playing orchestral pieces on it. One thing that comes up a lot with me, a lot of my, most of my clients are like, they're all ages from 18 or so on up. But I do work with a lot of people in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. So we, really? we talk about that. And that's when I started, right in the middle of the 70s. I'd say that's my decade. But what's fascinating to me is that everyone is still out there performing. I just saw Ringo Starr at the Fox a couple months ago. He was 83. And everyone on that stage, I would have been the youngest person on that stage. Mm. And saw Robert Plant at the pageant. Mm. He was 71. Nobody in the 70s. I was so into guitar. We only had one guitar magazine called Guitar Player Magazine. Nobody talked about, wow, isn't that going to be weird when they're touring in their 70s or their 80s? Like you didn't, it would have been absurd. I don't know what I don't know what we thought was going to happen to rock players of that era, like they were going to retire at 30 if they lived that long. And now I like that just because at my age I can still tour, and I do, and to be a rock star. Yeah. That's fun. We don't grow old because we stop playing. Yeah. We st- i got to get this <laughs> correct. The, come on, get it. We don't stop playing because we grow old. We grow old because we stop playing. There you, yeah. there you go. That would be amazing. Matthew Von Doren, thanks for coming on St. Louis in Tune. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. I lo- I love to sit around and talk about music. Sorry we didn't have more time. No. C- can we give those websites again? We've got 99decisions.com and matthewvondoren.com, V-O-N-D-O-R-A-N. All right. Well, that's all for this hour. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can listen to additional shows at stlintune.com, stlintune.com. Consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser or your preferred podcast platform. Your feedback helps us reach more listeners and continue to grow. I want to thank our co-host, Mark Langston. We thank you for being a part of our community of curious minds. St. Louis in Tune is a production of Motif Media Group and the U.S. Radio Network. Remember to keep seeking, keep learning, walk worthy, and let your light shine. For St. Louis in Tune, I'm Arnold Stricker.